The last thing each day is to set an alarm for the first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR. Oh, that was a bit of a bummer to hear in the uh, top of the hour news there, Renee. Uh, and you, you broke it to me earlier this morning. Yeah, Toby Keith, country singer Toby Keith, has passed away at 62. Um, you know, he was battling stomach cancer for quite some time. He announced it in June of 2022 that he had been diagnosed. And, you know, it seemed for a while he was doing really well. And then it just, I guess it just progressed. He was pretty, he was open but private about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I remember back when he made the announcement, and it was one of those announcements that was um, honest yet optimistic, and, and probably optimism was more for for his fans who sure. were worried about him. Um, he did play a three show run of um, uh, in Vegas back in December. Yeah, and he sounded good. He looked very gaunt, but of course, you that know could be due what do you expect? The treatment. Yeah. And so you're hoping that you're hoping that maybe that was a sign of a turnaround instead right. of his farewell. Right. But um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, he lost his battle. I'm not a huge country fan, but uh, I mean, Toby Keith's been around for so long. Oh, he's and, a country icon. Well, and I, I would say he he's saying one of the best lines in country music <laughs> of all that? time. We'll put a boot in your bleep. It's the American way. I, it, it was so kitschy, but it got, got me so pumped. And, and I think it came out right after 9-11. So, you know, you had that patriotism uh, going through it. Yeah. Uh, so so rest in peace. And I guess he was also instrumental in getting Taylor Swift signed to one of her first record deals. So Oh, my. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, obviously this summer, uh, TikTok turned into Taylor Talk and there was... Uh, this video, um, this this news report from from Nashville in like 2006, 2008 of her talking about Toby Keith taking her under her wing and and being instrumental in her launch. Wow, so, that's awesome. So yes, his influence, aside from his songs, um, his influence and his friendships and his connections uh, will will live on for for a very very long time. So rest in peace, Toby Keith. I will tip a red solo cup for him. That's right. Uh, the little, uh, what is it, uh, whiskey for your men, beer for your horses? Yeah, exactly. Man, I love yeah. country. <laughs> this is great. There, there is a formula, right? Yeah, there it, really it's is. A lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, All right. Well, no verdict yet in the Jennifer Crumley manslaughter trial. So the jury will reconvene today in Pontiac for their second day of deliberations. Yeah, they were provided with a strict set of guidelines for what they must consider and how uh, the jury's instructions specifically define find what counts as evidence and what criteria must be met in order for them to find the defendant guilty. So throughout Crumbly's trial, Oakland County prosecutors introduced two different theories that could satisfy the involuntary manslaughter charges against her. In order to find Crumbly guilty, the jury members must all agree that the prosecution provided at least one of those two theories beyond a reasonable doubt. The jury does not have to agree on which of the two theories was proven, just that at least one of them was. Uh, and the prosecution's first involuntary manslaughter theory is related to the failure to perform a legal duty, saying that Jennifer had a legal duty to the victims killed in the shooting. In Michigan, a parent has a legal duty to exercise reasonable care to control the minor child so as to prevent the minor child from intentionally harming others to prevent the minor child from conducting themselves in a way that creates an unreasonable risk of bodily harm to others. So the yeah. second, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. 
No, no, go ahead. I thought you were done. No, so the second involuntary manslaughter theory focuses on negligence. That's where the prosecutor claims Crumbly committed involuntary manslaughter because she was grossly negligent. And according to the jury instructions, gross negligence means more than carelessness. It means willfully disregarding the results to others that might follow from an act or failure to act. So they have to take those two theories into consideration and go, all right, is either of this plausible? Right. And on top of that, um, the jury wanted clarity on on the definition of involuntary manslaughter, as well as uh, they wanted to know if they can infer evidence from witnesses who weren't called. And I can only imagine that that meant any past testimony from the shooter or from the shooter's Miller hearing, um, because he did not testify because his lawyers want to appeal his life sentence. So right. I'm guessing that's what that meant. And the judge said, no, you can you, you can only uh, use the evidence of people who actually showed up and testified at this trial in person. You know, what I was thinking about was the families of these victims, the parents, like the fact that they didn't come back the first day. I'd be going, what? Really? There's there's a chance. Is there a chance she could be free? You know, I I don't know. I'm an impatient person to begin with. I couldn't even imagine being in that situation. Well, and imagine being a juror, too, in in this and (sighs) knowing that the family is right there. Yeah. And And they um, were. Yeah. And and imagine being the family if the the verdict is is not guilty. So a lot of tension still. And uh, yesterday I heard Charlie Langton predict that this would be a, a, a two-day jury deliberation and that there'd be a verdict on the second day. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, absolutely incredible images out of California where that atmospheric river dumped over 10 inches of rain across parts of Southern California at, at, in just 24 hours as of last night. So I'm sure that that's increased since. Over That's over a month's worth of rainfall in one day. It's a one in 1,000 year rainfall. Some evacuation orders have been lifted, but 35 people, 35 million people, I'm sorry, 35 million people remain under state of emergency. And uh, last check, there were three, pardon me, three deaths. Hopefully that does not grow. And a friend of mine, Renee, who lives in L.A., he says he lives up in the hills, so he's okay. But the rest of the city is essentially underwater. But mm. I would imagine there is some risk living up in those hills because, because you know, mudslides, mudslides are a big part of this. Yeah, sure, uh, landslides. Yeah, you know, they they were saying that because they were dealing with those wildfires last year and the dry temperatures, the earth is basically scorched, essentially. So that water isn't able to absorb. It's just sitting yeah. there. And so it has nowhere to go. And that's part of the problem. It's unstable. Yeah. And uh, uh, kind of a shocker coming out of Buckingham Palace yesterday. Yeah. King's, King Charles III is fighting cancer. Buckingham Palace released an official statement Monday saying during the king's recent hospital procedure for benign prostate enlargement, a separate issue of concern was noted. Uh, subsequent diagnostic, excuse me, diagnostic tests have identified a form of cancer. And the palace adds that his majesty has today commenced a schedule of regular treatments during which time he has been advised by doctors to postpone public facing duties. Charles, the palace says, will continue with his state business and official paperwork despite the diagnosis. The palace says that Charles remains wholly positive about his treatment and looks forward to returning to full public duty as soon as possible. 
Yeah, so hopefully his prognosis is good. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he's back in the Middle East trying to work out another hostage deal between Israel and Hamas. The Islamic resistance in Iraq is claiming responsibility for a drone strike that killed six American allied Kurdish fighters on a base in eastern Syria that's often used by U.S. troops. As retaliations for multiple attacks U.S. carried out on Iranian-backed militant groups in Yemen, Iraq, Iraq and Syria over the weekend, killing dozens of militants. And Stellantis is pouring cold water on reports of a possible merger between them and French automaker Renault uh, in a rumored move to counter Chinese automakers by the French government, which is Renault's largest stakeholder. Stellantis says thanks, but no thanks. They have no plans to merge and that a merger would raise a number of antitrust concerns. So. Uh, I did not know that rumor was was floating around. Apparently, it, it was an Italian newspaper that first reported the rumor, and that's how it yeah. really spread. Yeah, and who knows? Who knows how close it actually uh, came to becoming a reality? But, sure. And who knows? You know, maybe Stellantis is bluffing, or something could change. But as of right now, um, no plans by Stellantis uh, to to merge with Renault. It sounds like it'd be a big headache for everyone involved. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. No verdict yet in the Jennifer Crumley manslaughter trial. So today the jury will reconvene in Pontiac for day two of deliberations. Uh, They wanted a little more clarity on the definition of involuntary manslaughter. And they also wanted to know if they could infer evidence from witnesses who were not called. Uh, I believe they will reconvene about 839 o'clock this morning and we'll see if we get a verdict today. Um, that atmospheric river out in California dumped over 10 inches of rain across parts of South Carol, uh, South, Southern California, I'm sorry, in 24 hours as of Monday evening. That's over a month's worth of rainfall in one day. It's a one in 1,000 year rainfall event, and 35 million people remain under state of emergency. Three deaths reported so far. Prince Charles III, it was announced yesterday that he has been diagnosed with an undisclosed form of cancer, which was found when he went into the hospital to deal with an unrelated enlarged prostate issue. Prince Harry is reportedly um, heading to England to be with his father. Stellantis is pouring some cold water on reports of a possible merger between them and French automaker Renault. Uh, Stellantis said that they have no plans to merge, which was originally reported in an Italian newspaper, and that a merger would raise a number of antitrust concerns. Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken, he's back in the Middle East. He's going to be trying to work out a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas. This is uh, multiple attempts now. The Islamic resistance in Iraq, they're claiming responsibility for a drone strike that killed six American allied Kurdish fighters on a base in eastern Syria. That base is often used by U.S. troops, as, uh, and uh, this attack was uh, retaliation for multiple attacks that the U.S. carried out on Iranian-backed militant groups in Yemen, Iraq, and Syria, killing dozens over the weekend. And Toby Keith uh, has passed away from stomach cancer at the age of 62. He announced that he was diagnosed with stomach cancer back in 2022. And um, yesterday, Renee, I, I, I think we've, I, I think we've discussed my aversion to bridges on the show before we have. <laughs> so yesterday <laughs> would have been my absolute worst nightmare when the Mackinac bridge was closed for two hours due to hazard hazardous ice conditions the Mackinac Bridge Authority they released a statement saying that recent fog in the bridge's towers and cables 
uh, led to falling ice. And they posted this video of, of, of workers on the bridge driving their trucks onto the bridge to try to shake loose some of this ice. Oh that gosh. that just sounds like an absolute nightmare job yes, to me. So does. pay these people, pay these people whatever they want. Oh, my gosh. Why do we live in Michigan again? <laughs> could you imagine... Could you imagine being stuck in that traffic jam, though? No, absolutely not. At least it's pretty. I mean, if you got to be stuck yeah. in traffic, I'd rather it be there than 696 concrete walls. Yeah, right. Well, it depends on how close you are to the bridge, but but you can you can you can see the bridge from from a long way away. You can. It's kind of majestic, where you kind of come around that last bend, and then uh, in the distance you see the uh, the foreboding towers of of the Mackinac Bridge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess they have, uh, the bridge authority has closed the bridge nearly 30 times since 1995, usually in January, February, but the last time it was closed was kind of late in the season, April 3rd, 2022. That's usually when we get that weird ice storm. I feel like we always get yep. one in April. Yeah. Winner's last revenge. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, I think, uh. You ever see those memes where it shows you the different seasons of Michigan? Uh, I think we're in, we're in full spring right now. Yes, we are. I, my, some spring. of my neighbors' plants have begun sprouting. They don't know what's going on. I'm like, right. oh, you poor babies. Yeah, they're yeah they're gonna run into a buzzsaw named Jack Frost right. pretty soon. <laughs> Former, so uh, former President Donald Trump, he laid out his criteria for vice presidential running mate on Fox Business over the weekend. And uh, he even teased a couple of names that are possibly on his short list. He said that uh, his VP candidate's got to be someone who's going to be a good president. He said um, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott's a real tiger. It's kind of weird. Um, it's a little strange. <laughs> go get him, Tiger. Wow. <laughs> and, and he also praised South. Whoa. Uh, South, this is getting weird. Uh, South Dakota governor. I should have had a drop ready for that. That's my fault. Hey, man, you, you don't know what we're going to say on the show, Jason. Don't be so hard on yourself. You got to be ready for anything. Right. <laughs> got to keep your head on a swivel. Um, he also praised South Dakota Governor Christy Noem for not running against them, which that seems like kind of a low bar. Just I, number one, don't run against me. And you're in. Yeah. Um, former President Trump said that he won't announce his official VP pick for quite some time. So maybe it's neither of them still. And Vivek Ramaswamy's just sitting over here like, what about me, boss? Hey, guys, I'm ready. Put me in, coach. Haven't I been good? <laughs> Um, so there is a, uh, there is a, uh, a boom going on right now that has people looking at, uh, maybe their wedding rings trading that in for some cash. Yeah. The price of precious metals such as gold and silver could surge this year. So the price of gold per ounce could hit $2,200 by the end of the year. To put that in perspective, gold per ounce started on Monday at $2,038 per ounce, silver at 22.68 per ounce. So the price of silver is actually decreased. Decline slightly.
greatly since the onset of the pandemic after undergoing this major spike in the middle of 2020. So upcoming changes to interest rates currently at a 23-year high could reflect major changes in gold and silver prices. And investors say high interest rates make the dollar stronger, which increases demand for the U.S. dollar and reduces the demand for precious metals. But when interest rates relax, investors seek precious metals, especially ones like gold, raising gold's demand. Uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has a forecast that federal interest rates will come down later this year, as we all know. Uh, For investors, the S&P 500 has outpaced outpaced the value of gold since 2019. Uh, So, you know, gold's value has gone up 54 percent since then in the last in the last five years. All I'm saying is the last time this happened, I don't know if you know, but girls were having gold parties where we would all get together and turn in our old gold and they would give you cash. Some lady would come to your house. You'd have some cocktails and appetizers and then you'd get you hand over your loot. She'd weigh it. She'd check it. It seemed very sketchy. It probably was. was. It sounds like a scam. (laughs) I'll stick to my Tupperware parties. Okay. (laughs) You're tastefully simple. Yeah, I at least where I can own my own business and be my own boss. Boy, as I say that out loud, it sounds really sketchy. <laughs> yeah, you got ripped off. You better find this lady if she's not in jail. All I know is uh, this wasn't my this marriage wasn't my first rodeo, so I got some gold <laughs> sitting there that might get melted down. <laughs> yeah, take it to a take it to less gold at hardcore. Park. Right, I'll go see those yeah. guys. And also, we're getting some numbers on um, what kind of spending we can expect this Valentine's Day. Yeah, we're expected to spend a record $14.2 billion this Valentine's Day. So that well, works out. That no. Well, that works out to about $185 each. Each. I'm not yeah. spending that kind. I love my husband. Are you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. That's nuts. Yeah, absolutely. $185 on Valentine's Day? Maybe when he was courting you know, me. <laughs> you know what's nuts, okay? Valentine's Day is on February 14th. They need to move it to the 16th or at least after payday on the 15th. I think that would be a big boon for the economy because let's face it. Most people, by the time February 14th rolls around, you're out of spending money. You've been out of spending money for days. Right. Now you're on to something, Michael. I think that, that that you are absolutely right. I would spend more on them. Yeah. For Yeah, it's like, okay. He gets honey, socks well, and underwear, not just underwear. <laughs> look, baby. I can only get you the heart-shaped pizza. I'm a little short on cash for payday. You deserve the breadsticks, too. But uh, I just don't have I just don't have that scratch right now. All right. It's first thing. A little glimpse into our lives. Yeah. Pray for our spouses. Their rewards are in heaven. Right. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. And Guy Lloyd and Jamie join us in studio as we head into JR Morning. And I know in this room there's a, a lot of people. Uh, there's there's a lot of experience covering jury trials or at least following them. And we're heading into the second day of jury deliberations in the Jennifer Crumbly manslaughter trial. And I don't know, in, in, in everyone's experience here, do, does a longer jury deliberation, does that ever seem to um, favor prosecution over defense or is there really no pattern? In my experience, the longer they go, the more, more. it tends to favor the defense. defense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
but, but you know, this is the, my, you know this. There are a lot of twists and turns in this case, and it's a lot of things they need to go over. They're going to be asking a lot of questions and, and things, and so uh, this could be stretched out just because they'll be asking questions and trying to figure out, you know, uh, different parts of uh, these testimonies that we've heard over the last two weeks. We have a little yeah. um, gentleman's bet between the three of us and about what, where this is going. I got to tell you, what the question that was being asked, and, and uh, Sean Lay had, what I saw, thought, some pretty good analysis from Vonda Evans, the former judge that we've yeah. had. Oh, before. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's been great covering this, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and, and Vonda said, look, you know, it looks to me like these folks are looking for a path to convict, but they're not comfortable with reasonable doubt. They want zero doubt. So they're asking for things like, Mm -hmm. well, why can't we see testimony from the shooter? Right. Which is a logical question. I mean, they're frustrated that they can't hear from the person that can tell them how he got the gun. Right. And that's probably why they're asking. You know, they got two main questions from what I understand. Number one, they want to be clear on the definition of involuntary manslaughter. And then they want to infer um evidence or testimony from uh, witnesses who haven't testified directly in this in this trial. And and yeah, I, obviously they're talking about, um, I don't know, maybe past testimony from the shooter uh, to which the judge said, no, you have to go with the evidence that's been yeah. presented here. The second question surprised me because, I mean. She couldn't have been more clear in her jury know, instructions so exactly obvious, that you can right. only consider that which has been entered into evidence. You can't infer anything from someone that you haven't heard from. And it sounds to me like there was one jury that was just juror that was really adamant about that. And so they said, oh, God, we'll ask the question so you can move yeah. on. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, these jurors that haven't been sequestered, they're looking at stuff. They're of course at, they they're are. They're looking at other things. They're looking, and they're trying to bring that into deliberations. When you can't do that, you got to go by what you, you know, heard uh, during testimony, and you know, so it kind of muddles things. I can only imagine how the families are feeling right now. The victims sitting there going, oh "Why, God. really? Maybe you know, in their mind, they thought they would come back the first day, but right. the longer that this takes." I wonder, you know, that could play mind games. I know that that would mess with my head. Yeah. Remember that the lack of testimony from Ethan Crumbly was, uh, the, I think most, you know, legal analysts said, harmed the defense mm-hmm. more than it yeah, harmed the, defense the prosecution. Him. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. interesting that they want more. Uh, and it seems to justify with their fears. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can only imagine being a juror on this case. I mean, it's it's very high profile, um, uh, not only the eyes of Metro Detroit, but but of the nation and, yeah. and of the legal profession are on you. And, it's and so I'm setting. Sh- yeah, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure if I were in that jury room, uh, I pr- well, I probably wouldn't have been on the jury because I'd be biased. But if I'm on that jury room, you want to make sure you get this as close to 100% right as you can. Well, I'm sure they feel the weight of what they're trying to decide here. Yeah. And, you know, they've been told you can't internalize this and say, well, you know, gosh, this could affect me as a parent. That's not your role. Mm -hmm. And that's I thought that was something interesting that Todd Flood said yesterday. He goes, that's that's a jury nullification argument. And it's got no place in this discussion. Lloyd, you did bring up a good point, though, about, um, you know, how how these jurors aren't necessarily sequestered. And. When you're on a jury, you have to do your best to avoid, you know, all reports, yep. all 
analysis. Can't go on social media. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, how how do you do that? How do you, you literally have to turn off your your TV, your radio, your cell phone, and uh, and 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 just completely unplug? Because even if you're not seeking out news reports about this trial they're gonna find you all of us have pretty strong-willed spouses in this room can you imagine telling our spouses you're not allowed to talk to me about it right yeah because i I really cannot that's why i think it it must be tough yeah they're gonna give you their viewpoint Mm -hmm. even if you're clicking on your television to watch a netflix show or something the news might be on at that very moment you might hear something i mean you look at your phone well, for something else and you might it pops see, up yeah on your phone well and the car. other thing is you're already going to be saying oh my gosh there's this one person on the jury and they're driving me crazy and and you're, you know you're going to want to get that stuff out and, yeah. and talk through it well uh, yeah and I, I i had jury duty last week and one of the questions and luckily i didn't get called up but I did my civic duty, guy. I there had you your voice. I in was my proud head. of you. <laughs> I'm always but, proud of you, but I was especially proud of you now. But one of the questions the judge asked one of the jurors, they're like, uh, "Can you can you not talk about this case with your spouse or anyone?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know if I could do that. If I, if I get up there, that's going to disqualify me because for that exact reason." <laughs> you said, "Have you met my wife?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. I said I'm going to give her phone number because. Uh, She's going to want to talk about like, it. Talk, said, talk to her. To I don't know. <laughs> She's a talker. Oh. J.R. Morty coming up next. The city of Dearborn has stepped up their police presence around houses of worship in municipal buildings after an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled, Welcome to Dearborn, America's Jihad Capital, led to an increase of threats and anti-Muslim rhetoric online. Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud appeared on J.R. Afternoon with Chris Renwick. You know, one of the benefits that I think we we have in this region that a lot of places don't. I mean, a lot of urban places do, a lot of metropolitan cities and locations do, but but we're we're very lucky to have a diverse a diverse population. And and with that comes different beliefs, different ideologies, but we are as a community a very strong community. And when somebody comes after a member of our community, we we don't generally take too kindly to it, especially here in in Detroit, in Metro Detroit. Well, there was a Wall Street Journal uh, 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 op-ed that was published just a couple of days ago over the weekend. It was called Welcome to Dearborn, America's Jihad Capital. And the byline underneath the title was imams and politicians in the Michigan city side with Hamas against Israel and Iran, against the United States. And it has become a lightning rod, certainly for the people closest to it, specifically in the city of Dearborn, as the mayor of Dearborn, Abdullah Hamoud, joins us to to talk about this article. Mr. Mayor, it's good to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, what, what, what was your initial reaction when you when you saw this article, when you read it, you had a moment to digest it? What was What was the initial reaction to this piece? You know, at first I was just, you know, uh, uh, enraged that this inflammatory rhetoric is still permissible in 2024. You know, I, I grew up in the post 9-11 era. This type of rhetoric is not new. And the unfortunate reality is Islamophobia has become an acceptable form of hate. And those who demonize or stereotype Muslims or Arab Americans have found larger platforms and greater notoriety. And we have to put an end to that. 
So the other uh, a part of this is there were specific citations to uh, faith leaders in the community or members in the community. And um, is there is there any sense from the the religious community in Dearborn that that this that this writer got it wrong, that he didn't paint a fair representation of the city of Dearborn? You know, I think the fact that this writer understood very clearly that by calling uh, Dearborn what he did in the headline, he was basically trying to say that this is a, a breeding ground for terrorism and so on and so forth. Um, and that's it's, it's just repulsive. And I don't know for what other community such a headline would be permissible or acceptable, or even the conversation would be, well, can you explain to me uh, what's unfolding here? People who are protesting in support of peace to end the onslaught of the killing of innocent men, women, and children, um, that's something that all Americans should be supportive of. I don't know, you know, my value statement, I, I believe that no innocent man, woman, or child should be killed. I don't know who disagrees with such a statement. And yes, we in Dearborn are a little bit closer to what's unfolding overseas. Our family hail from these villages that are being wiped off the map as we currently speak. Um, and this is nothing more than a distraction of that conversation that we've been trying to have openly. So he, he did mention specifically um, uh, less than a handful of faith leaders in the community, and he took specific lines uh, in uh, from their 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 uh, passages or their teachings. Um, and it, it, it is the sense that these were taken out of context is the sense that um, that he was cherry picking specific things uh, from these faith leaders to paint a um, an untrue picture. What 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 do you make of the the citations that he uses from faith leaders in the community? I think that the uh, uh, the individual who wrote the opinion piece is very much trying to pluck and place as he uh, likes to try to inflame. Uh, as he did, to try to uh, cast a wide uh, uh, net on the whole city of Dearborn. Um, but if you also look at the Wall Street Journal, you know, this is very consistent with what they do. If you look at what just happened at the events last week, Chicago passed a resolution in support of a ceasefire. And what did the editorial board put out as their, as their headline? Chicago votes in support of Hamas. And so this isn't new, uh, as I was saying earlier. This is media malpractice. This is consistent with what they have always done. And it's important that we all condemn this and call it out for exactly what it is. This is fanning the flames of hatred and bigotry, of Islamophobia, and the anti-Ada bigotry and sentiment as well. And it's made our residents less safe as a result. Yeah, and, and I was going to ask that. What, what, is the, what has been the, the temperature that you've taken from the community? Where, where are they at on this uh, that you've been able to gather? You know, we've increased patrols around our places of worship. We are in strong coordination with our schools, ensuring our school resource officers are present, plus we have more park and walks uh, around these uh, third places, places where community members tend to congregate. Um, we're taking this very seriously. I mean, you saw a soar in the amount of vile rhetoric all over online and, and threats being cast towards myself or other individuals and places and institutions in the city um, that are just absolutely disgusting to see. Um, all is a direct result of this uh, inflammatory opinion piece that was run. There was uh, uh, obviously there's been a lot of pushback to the Biden administration. There was a rally held uh, just the other day as the president was was in the area uh, for a campaign event with the UAW. Uh, what is the, the sense among um, those in the Arab community, those in the Muslim community about the, the way that this administration has been handling the events in in Gaza and Israel? 
Very poor. You know, we had a president that promised decency and who promised to lead with humanity in the White House. And we have not seen that, um, you know, in in a countless number of events. When the the president challenges a number of Palestinians that have actually been killed, when his spokespeople continually cast doubt on what's unfolding or uh, emphasizing that the only thing that is promised is more civilian casualties. When you see a cutting of funding to an institution that provides food and aid to 2.2 million refugees right now who are at risk of famine, um, who you see an endless amount of dollars being provided and military aid being provided that is wiping out whole neighborhoods. You know, we have a resident that came to a council meeting who had lost 80 loved ones. You know, what, what is your, what is the president's message to that resident? In terms of this, this movement to, 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 Maybe move on from Joe Biden, those that maybe voted for him in 2020, but but due to the the his his stance on the conflict, uh, they are moving aside. Is there anything that you've been able to gather that the president could do to to reverse course on that, or is the damage done? You know, I, I won't speak to uh, the various campaigns that are ongoing and what people are um, anticipating for the upcoming primary election. But my message to the president um, is one that's very clear: um, it's always time to do the right thing. We have time and an opportunity to change course, to help save lives, to prevent the killing of innocent men, women, and children by calling for a ceasefire, by utilizing diplomatic means, which have been the only means that have provided uh, positive outcomes when we had a release of hostages of both sides. We want to release all the hostages, which I hope that we can accomplish. We can only do that through diplomatic means. We need an unequivocal release of all hostages on on both sides of this. Um, And diplomatic means is the way that we get there. Uh, this president has to change course. His language has to change because if you think of this opinion piece and, and the climate in which it was written under, it, it is partly as a result of the rhetoric and decision-making that has happened in the highest office in the world. Mm. 